You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Pete, Maz and Neil. From the Playboys and Provocateurs to Tiki Taka to Gagan Pressing, we'll be looking at some of our favourite cult sides and players from down the years. Shaky on the facts but heady with nostalgia, this is the football podcast you've been waiting for. So finish up your pre-match stretches and go with Four at the Back. We're back on four at the back, and we're three at the back this week, but we're finally bringing you our long-promised episode on the Joe Joe Royal Everton team of the mid-1990s. Now, Everton are one of the great sides of English football, founding members of the Football League. You know, Liverpool only exist as a club because Everton had fell out with their landlord uh, at Anfield. You know, they've got this profoundly great history, but... This side that we're talking about today is when people of my age kind of learn that about Everton because for the first few years that I was watching them, they were really just up against it. They were not a good side. So when the Premier League starts, we're in the second coming of the of Howard Kendall. And Maz, I guess you'd be more familiar with Howard Kendall's Everton than me or Joe, but this second time round... Things don't really go well for for Howard Kendall when he comes back, and nor do they go particularly well for his replacement at Everton, who was Mike Walker. Now, we're going to talk about Mike Walker in much more complimentary terms at some point when we talk about Norwich City. That's that's coming, but at Everton, Mike Walker has one of the worst reputations of all their managers. I think he's got the worst win percentage ever. So we start the 1994-95 season, Everton have just stayed up on the last day with with Mike Walker as their manager on the previous uh, previous season, and they beat Wimbledon three two in a famous game after going two nil down. And I think it's fair to say that they were not a great outfit, even though they'd stayed up. They were on this awful awful run, and then all of a sudden, this is where we get this new managerial change, and Joe Royal comes in. So before we turn to Joe Royal. Maz, I'll come to you for a moment. So just thinking back to the that transition, if you like, between Everton that you would have seen as a kid. I don't know if you can remember far enough back to, to remember them winning the title, but that Everton side, it was always kind of top half, top four or five, to watching them just staying up on the last day of the season with a, you know, a one goal basically separating them from falling out of the top flight. Yeah, no, I mean, a little too young to see them winning titles, but, you know... <sighs> old enough to remember you know a, a very good Everton team certainly a top half team you know pushing for European places you know Tony Cotty in his uh, prime and, and and players like that and to see them become you know that 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 team that are struggling to struggling to stay in the division uh, for a few seasons is just just didn't feel right you know and it's not as if I had years and years and years of football experience, but, you know, just the history of the club and, you know, what you saw from them uh, when they were there. Uh, as I was growing up, you know, it was 
it, it was a strange position to be seeing them in. And, you know, all, all, all the more so, they were very, very much, you know, in the shadow of Liverpool by this point, uh, even though we're not talking about a prime period for Liverpool. You know, they, they, they've... They were falling away at this point as well, but um, yeah, it it's certainly wasn't a place you expected to see them. And you know, I, I guess Kendall was part of part of uh, the Everton that I, I, I'd seen growing up a huge part. But you know, Walker definitely didn't do well. He didn't he didn't last a full season, did he? I don't think. No, nowhere near a full season. I think he comes in in around the the January of nineteen ninety four, and he's gone by the November. So he just kind of straddles the summer, uh, but he doesn't last uh, uh, even a whole year. I don't think. Uh, Kendall actually resigns on the back of a bad run of form. He goes into the transfer, or wants to go into the transfer market, and they won't back him enough to buy Dion Dublin from Manchester United. So this is one of the things that runs through the background of all of this is that Everton are a bit of a mess through this whole period. You know, they don't just have bad managerial decisions. You know, Howard Kendall doing the old, you can never go back. Mike Walker proving that maybe the Norwich thing was more than just the, the one individual manager. Everton were a little bit of a mess, but things certainly aren't helped when Mike Walker goes and spends his his money the way that, that he does. And um, Brett Angel, I think, was probably the one of the more high-profile high pro, high signings. I don't know how long he lasts before he shipped out to Sheffield United. Vinny Samways comes in from Tottenham, and he... Uh, yeah, he does some nice things for them over the years, but he's never really much of a starter beyond the Mike Walker era. So it's a disastrous start to 94-95, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, Vinny Samway is a decent player for Spurs, but hardly a, a world-beater, was he? You know, it's it, it, it's it's the signings of a struggling side, uh, for sure. And you know what 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 they need is some real stars or some real youngsters coming through. And you know it, it seems they'd uh, they'd lost. I mean, I mentioned Tony Cotty there. I think he pretty pre- his goals pretty much probably were one of the main things that saved them the season before. I guess. Yeah, that's one thing they were never short of uh, in that whole run through through Kendall and Walker was they had good strikers. Uh, you know, Tony Cotty was one. They obviously, Cotty moves around a lot, as we know. He goes to Everton at least twice. I think he plays for West Ham two or three times. Yeah, uh, t- turns out for Leicester as well, doesn't he? So yeah, he, he turns around all over the place. They also have Ride Out and Stewart. They're playing quite well under the the um, under Kendall. You've got Peter Beagree on the wing, but he moves out when they bring in Anders Limpar, and that's obviously a player that's going to be close to your heart. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, Arsenal fans. You know, uh, of a of an old. Uh, it's weird when you talk about age now, because you know this was a this was a discussion of a generation ago, and it's it's no longer the only the only discussion. But you know, often all the uh, all the comparisons over who was better, Perez or Overmars. You know. Anyone who'd been watching Arsenal that little bit longer would always throw Anders Limpar up into that conversation. I mean, a magician of a player, fantastic, uh, 
fantastic skill. You know, just beautiful to watch. And uh, just didn't really fit in as George Graham became less and less uh, interested in attractive football and more more involved in grinding grinding it out with, you know, workmen in there. He just didn't really fit in uh, anymore, Limpar. So he, he was shipped off to Everton, but, you know, they got an absolute gem there. And he was one of the few kind of creative players. Um, or rather, that's perhaps slightly unfair because I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit because they were actually still, even though they were struggling, a very creative team. And, you know... If you go back and watch some of the goals that they scored in the Kendall era, they're pretty good. They're just leaking too many. And the same thing happens with Mike Walker. He comes in, he's trying to play this really positive possession-based, high-tempo football, and they're just leaking goals out and out. And then what Joe Royal does is coming fresh off his tenure as the older manager, where he pulled up trees to get them to FA Cup semifinals and keep them in the Premier League for a couple of years. Joe Royal says, no, enough enough of that. We're not going to worry about playing football for the purists. We're going to do something very different. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it becomes a strong side, doesn't it? I I guess it's a a mentality more than anything else you get in there. You've got some good, strong players. I mean, you know, start at the back, I guess. You've got to start at the back with veteran keeper by this stage. You know, a guy that was touted as one of the best goalkeepers in the world at points and had been at Everton most of his career, if not all. I don't know. I'm 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 not that I'm not that old to 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 quite know. But yeah, I mean Neville Southall, uh, what a guy to have at the back. Um, oh no, bloody hell, he went he went all over the place, didn't he? Oh no, that was more after Everton. So he started at Berry and then uh, 17 years at Everton, nearly 600 league appearances. That's not bad going, is it? That's not not bad going, and you know, and if you talk about you know who one player who who you associate with Everton it's got to be Uncle Nev and you know like I say by that point in his career he's no spring chicken uh, but um, you know still a very very solid goalkeeper and you know when you've got someone with that level of experience behind you it's something to build on you know you've always got something there Yeah, I think so. I think you can always... Uh, he was starting to get slightly past it at some level at this point. Because, you know, as you say, 17 years at Everton, these are the last few of them. He is starting to do it more with his mind because the reflexes aren't quite there. So there's a lot of positioning to get himself out of problems. And by the end of the Royal Ten, you you will see him start to be replaced and more and more mistakes. But... By tightening things up in the in the middle and not being quite so open, they just give him that little bit of extra protection, and he's able then to do a lot of the rest and to marshal the the four defenders in front of him, and it really does start to to pay dividends. And I think it's why, even though Royal has written that that people told him when he first arrived at Everton, one of the first things he said was that Neville Southall and Dave Watson are both shot, and you need to you know find younger replacements. They both went on to be you know, really great servants and, and hugely important in keeping them in the league because by the time Royal gets in, they have 
I think something like one win and maybe eight points or like total from about a third of the season. They are rock bottom and they have to pull out top half form just in order to stay up with the rest of the season. And, you know, Neville Southall, Dave Watson and uh, the rest of those players in that bat line are obviously hugely important to that because the one thing Everton became was tough to beat. Yeah, you know, and and that's it. And it, everything I said about Southall, you could you could say about Watson as well. You know, um, again, we're talking about an era where you know you had lots of lots of English centre halves, but you know, as much as you know, Steve Bruce didn't have well, he didn't have an England career, did he? You know, Dave Watson had had a bit of an in England career. You know. Maybe not a huge one, but, uh, you know, certainly extremely solid uh, and the type of leader that you need at the back. And, you know, it's where you need to build, especially if you're talking about a team that as where they've been struggling is leaking goals. So, you know, if uh, Joe's come in and, and, yeah, brought that confidence back in in that back line, that's the key. That's obviously the first place uh, you need to turn things around. It's some turnaround, isn't it? I'm just looking at the um, the results from this season, and they go from being a side just completely unable to score. You know, they they go so <clears throat> from the QPR game where Amakachi and Rideout both score in a two-all draw. A striker doesn't score for Everton until Royal comes in at the end of November. They just completely lost it. To score and they were leaking goals at the other end. So, you know, that's it's, it's, it's no wonder that Mike Walker left. I don't think it was necessarily the results that were that, that did for him completely. It was just the, the fact there was there was, there would have been no confidence at all that they'd have been able to get a result. Yeah, those last couple of results into Mike Walker are actually slightly better than the what the two or three months before that, which is mm. often the often the way it works, ironically. Uh, you, once you've, Frank Lampard had the same thing earlier in the season. He didn't go out on a defeat, but they'd already lost faith. They were already looking round, and mm. yeah, that was why they, they pulled the trigger. I do remember the, the one win they had before Royal comes in is that West Ham game, and I can remember it now. It's Gary Ablett scoring one of those goals where the ball is bouncing around the six-yard box, around the line. The fans behind the goal are almost trying to suck the ball into the net. You know, it's the, as you say, they just did not look like they were going to get a striker in, the, even in the kind of position to score. Um, yeah, and that's unusual because they had no strikers. Incredibly, they go seven games without concede. I mean, two of those games are when. Mike Walker's still there, but <clears throat> Royal comes in and they keep fi- they they keep five clean sheets on the bounce, um, which again is it's some turn. Considering you know we're not there's no real sort of change in personnel with the except Duncan Ferguson signs, doesn't he? This is obviously in the area era where there was no transfer window as such. So uh, Duncan Ferguson comes in from Rangers for. Four million pounds, I think it is. It's a little more complicated than that. Ferguson's already in before Royal comes in, but he's in on loan because he is in serious trouble in Scotland and he wants to get away from <laughs> Rangers. Like he is going through an assault charge for headbutting John McStay, I think it was. He is literally uh, on the run. Yes. 
And because he's fallen out with everybody at Rangers and the Scottish FA and the Scottish press, he lit- Everton take him on loan. And that's before Royal comes in. The, the four million transfer comes when Royal decides to make it permanent. That's later in the year. The, the real change of personnel is actually going to look Royal going to watch Everton's reserves and thinking there are players here better than in the um, or, or more apt to the job we need than Mike Walker was playing in the first team. So Mike Walker's midfield was Vinnie Samways, who Royal quickly decides is too lightweight for the job that they need to do. Gary Rowett, I forget where he's manager now. I know he was at Birmingham for a while. Um, I don't know where he's at now. And then... He's at Millwall. I've actually forgot who the third uh, the third player was that they had in midfield. Now I think about it. But anyway, the, the long and short is that... April. Well, no. No, April's one. April and Parkinson are playing in the reserves. And, ah, right. And... Royal Ghost looks at it, and so is Andy Hinchcliffe and Barry Horn. And he looks at these four and goes, why on earth are they down here when what we need is scrap and fight? And, you know, so he takes all these players back from the reserves and builds the side around them. So you end up with this, you know, Andy Hinchcliffe fits in most of the time at kind of fullback or or, and, or left wing, depending on what the game demands. You know, Limpar's there if you can get away with having a more luxury player, because uh, as he famously said, um, Limpar is not a winger that likes to trap back. Uh, other, other times you'd end up with Limpar on the other wing and Hinchcliffe on the one. So there was a lot of rotation going on. But you end up with this really aggressive, harrying midfield of John Ebrill, Barry Horn and uh, Joe Parkinson. And they were, uh, other than Parkinson, I think he must have been the third one. But the rest were all playing in, in Everton's reserves. It's crazy when you think about it, when... You, you think about some of those stories of the sort of great escapes over the years. Um, you know, I said before we started that this was sort of, this was Sam Allardyce before Sam Allardyce was a thing. Um, coming around and, and changing. The, the, the form that Everton showed was very similar to the form that Sheffield United had at the start of this season. And, that you know, they are they have done. And it takes a, a huge amount to come back from that. And it, the ability to sort of change a dressing room and that their mentality is, is not something that all managers have. Now, of course, if you're Joe Royal and you turn off the reserves and think that the entire team is better than the first team, then I suppose you can bring in a, a whole new team. But it, it's, it's a really brave call to make. Like, it is, can you but... can you can you imagine like someone going into you know someone like well take Newcastle now dropping the whole lot of them and bringing in the reserves and yeah. thinking that would work? You're having a light bulb moment there, aren't you, Joe? It might work. Well, <laughs> well. See, the, 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 think... there'll be no conspiracy theories here tonight. <laughs> Uh, I guess the difference is, you know, at that point, they got nothing to lose. You know, mm. yeah, nothing's going right. If he's seeing a bit of fight, which he obviously has seen, we're talking about, you know, maybe not world beaters here, you know, in, in the long run, but good, solid professionals, you know, with very good careers, you know. Uh, look, look how Hinchcliffe went on from strength to strength at that point. You know, Horn was a... 
a very very solid player you know even unsworth made the england squad the following summer yeah you know unsworth was a really hot you know young defender at, at the time so you know big credit to to joe for for bringing them through but um yeah i mean it's there i mean four million for duncan ferguson pound for pound that's got to go down as a really good sign doesn't it even mm. even four million in 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 95 money um i mean he, he went and played for newcastle for a couple of seasons later on and deep you know he was a seriously good player like and he was he was much more cultured than i think people give him credit for oh yeah he's, yeah he's he's, he's sort of He's renowned for his, his aerial ability, and and obviously now he's he's credited with the the sort of the change that in, in Dominic Calvert Lewin that's brought about such a, a sort of a change in fortunes for him, working so closely with him. But he had a hell of a left foot as well. Oh, he could play. He could play, and you know, as as much as he was a nutter on the run for. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not quite sure that um, if the Scottish police wanted to come and get him um, it, on Merseyside, uh, they couldn't do it. I, I don't think they. I it's don't not think they out of Interpol, his jurisdiction. But yeah, um, it, it, yeah. it's not. It's not South America, is it? <laughs> no. But you know, a, a bit of a hard man, but fantastic on the field. You know, he a, a joy to watch uh, across the board and you know you see him in that co- coaching role you know it, it proves there's more to him than just you know being a hard man but you know it was also something that that you needed a, a, a struggling team needs that type of character i think the other thing was they they brought in some re- some really terrible players hadn't they their the, their the record in the transfer market have been particularly poor um I mean, even Amakachi, who I, I I seem to remember being a much better player than this season suggests he was. But for three million quid, I think he he scored four league goals all season. Um, yeah, I mean, Amakachi was he was one of those one of those you know at a great World Cup got noticed yeah. and right let, let's take a punt on him and it, it was all right I, I i think it's fair to say he didn't quite live up to the expectations yeah. but he was playing a struggling had. team for but, yeah it was inconsistent i think is the worst you can say about amakachi you know he did mm-hmm. have one or two great moments and a few good goals but he was more likely to lash in a great goal from 18 25 yards than he was to tap one in from three, four yards out. And back then, if a striker was doing that, that probably meant that they were a bit inconsistent because, you know, with crosses and and the like being so much more part of the game than it is now, they you know, tap-ins were much more of your bread and butter. You know, Gary Lineker made an entire career out of it. Um, and I don't remember an easy Daniel Amakachi goal off the top of my head. They were all crackers, but there just weren't that many of them. Yeah, like Tony Yaboa before there was Tony Yaboa. Yeah, it's not not well, a bad comparison. Yaboa was a bit more consistent, wasn't he? I guess until he put on all the weight. Yeah, but he played in a better team. He did. So I, I, I suppose he was he was sort of afforded the luxury of being able just just to only score screamers because you had people like oh, their names escape me all of a sudden. They're all in that sticker book as well. 
yeah, yeah. Brian, the Brian Deans of this world, shall we say. Um, players who, who, who might be around for, for the odd tap-in. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's, a, there's a lot of players here who you think they're, they're synonymous with those early years of the Premier League. But it's it's kind of a bit strange to think that they were that they played so badly at the start of the, that season, and even and the season before as well. They were sort of they they just about avoided a relegation. And um, this season, you feel looking at that start, they should have gone down. And as you say, the the form they showed from the point Royal comes in to the end of the season, they're top six. They'd have been in Europe if if Royal had been there the whole season. Mm. Turned yeah. out they made Europe anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, you look at that running as well for 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 that season, you know. And this is rare as well with a cup run. But you you go, they lost seven games. They only conceded in one of them, you know. And they but they only won one of them. They only won one of them. But you know, it, it shows what what kind of team they'd become, you know. Tough to beat is where what you need in a relegation battle. I mean, you, and, they only scored in, in three of them, and I think yeah. that's that's yeah. possibly the the, the difference. I mean, you know, they, they they became very tight at the back, didn't they? And that and yeah, that ultimately saved them. But you think what could have been if they if he could have got some of those some of those strikers firing? I suppose that you don't. If you're in that kind of battle, though, you don't actually have to to score if you're not conceding because it is all about just picking up more points. And there were a few bad sides that season. You know, oh, Villa yeah. were Villa were terrible that year. All the four sides that went down were terrible that year. Uh, and some of the sides they played in that running were not bad. I mean, you look at it and you see Wimbledon and seems like that in there. But it was actually a pretty good year for Wimbledon. And you know, it's um, I'm trying to think who else was there. Sheffield Wednesday, apart from the year that they went down, they were usually pretty decent. Uh, so yeah, yeah they, beat, they beat Newcastle um, in, uh, uh, in in April. Yeah, yeah they, was it was at least Wimbledon's really good year as well. They had a couple of really good years. I think yeah. they were. I think they were top half this this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was going to Wimbledon on and off quite a bit around this time, and they they were they were really were a joy to watch. Guys, going to cycle back to Joe Royal's first game for a minute because there's a great uh, Duncan Ferguson anecdote about that match. Obviously, he opens the scoring, and he'd apparently not really done a lot until Neil Ruddock decides to like kind of give him a good old fashioned clear out style tackle, you know, from behind, you know, and it's that old thing of you hit him once and then he never does anything the rest of the game. But apparently it's like just turned Bruce Banner into the incredible Hulk with Duncan Ferguson. And, and he needed that conflict to like wind him up and the rest of the game, he just had Liverpool completely on their toes. And so just this one act by uh, Razor Ruddock just completely woke up the the beast inside Duncan Ferguson and in many ways that's what starts the whole run because you wonder if they don't win that game uh where does do they pick up the confidence they pick up the run they didn't survive by a whole lot anyway small margins I think it's a huge thing to win a derby in, in when you're in that sort of form to suddenly pick up you know three points against your, your main rivals and particularly as it's as it's Liverpool Everton you can imagine the sort of the surging confidence that would have given the players and the fans that actually there there, there was some quality in the team. There was a bit of fight in this team, and um, 
maybe Neil Ruddock will never quite realise the uh, the uh, the effect that uh, they had on on Everton's season just by trying to to kick the legs out of Duncan Ferguson. But um, yeah, you, you win some, you lose some when when you play that type of game, don't you? You know, he he picked the wrong man that day. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to uh, to kick a man whose nickname was um, Duncan Disorderly. That's uh... I, I'm I'm not sure many others tried it throughout his Premiership <laughs> career. To be honest, I mean Neil Ruddock was never was never really famed for his uh, for being cerebral, was he? No, I mean, I'd, gee, I'd pay good money to watch those two just go at it back in the nineties. <laughs> that would have been that that would have been. Top class, that yeah, you know, like white collar boxing kind of thing. Yeah, I, uh, all day long. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's the type of thing that 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 does turn a season around. And you know, you're there. I think I think we'll talk about um, a signing they made in the well, almost a January transfer window there, but in January, um, as as it was. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on on them signing? Uh, Earl Barrett from you? I think at the time I looked at that and thought, okay, it's probably a good move for everybody. And he certainly fit in well at Evan. I mean, that what they kind of needed under Royal was his athleticism. And he'd obviously moved to us from Oldham. So this was, you know, going home in a, in a sense, going back oh, to working with boss yeah 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 so so it worked out we were sort of looking at bringing in somebody else i think at that point and if i remember right we have we either have gary charles coming in around that time or he comes in a few months later and charles becomes our you know d- default right back for a couple of years so we're kind of planning for the future more but yeah it certainly worked out for evan and uh, at 1.7 million that's not a bad deal he still had plenty left in the tank uh, I liked Earl Barrett as a player as well. I thought he, he, you know, he had that brilliant engine. He had a cross. He was quite modern as fullbacks go. He wasn't just going to sit along the bat line and and protect. Yeah, de- definitely someone that I, I always see as you know a a very solid professional in those early days of the Premiership. Yeah. You know, and and exactly the type of player that you know uh, fit what Joe Royal was doing at Everton. Mm. I mean, he didn't always get the plaudits for us because on the other kind of fullback position, we had Steve Staunton, who was just, you know, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 every week. So when he goes to uh, to Everton, he fits in because they don't really have an obvious right back. They've got plenty of options for the rest of, of the defense. I think he's taking, I want to say it was Matt Jackson's shirt. Um but if you look at the rest of that defence, Dave Watson uh, is kind of bringing through David Unsworth. Gary Ablett is, you know, a really great defender, but he's often shifted out to left back just to make room for the other players in in and around. But he does yeah, a really first, good job. First of all, one of those players that, you know, you, you, you can pop in anywhere, he'll do a decent job for you. Yeah, yeah. And if, you know... Uh, when he wasn't there, then you had Andy Hinchcliffe come in. And if Andy Hinchcliffe wasn't playing at left wing, because Hinchcliffe, you know, is probably the, the unsung hero of this side. He had one of the best left feet in the history of the Premier League, I think. And he doesn't get mentioned anywhere near enough today. But that meant that this right back berth was somewhere where they really could strengthen. And uh, I think the move from this season to next, where they have him all year, that's where you can really see the difference in having that extra bit of 
pace and power and and work rate all kind of comes together. Neil, who obviously can't be here this evening, um, wanted us to make sure we extol the virtues of John Ebrill. Yeah, uh, as I say, one of the players, either in the reserves or really just getting 10 minutes off the bench when Royal comes in. He'd had an interesting career as well, because if you go back and watch the Kendall team, he's popping up in the opposition penalty box and he's you know doing things in and around the strikers. And he was not popular because he had this knack of kind of missing chances that the Everton fans thought that he should be putting away. And that's, that was really sad because he was an Everton fan. So you've got this player who's come through the ranks, loves Everton, wants to, you know, all that kind of story. And he's getting the chance in the team and he's not being loved by the fans. And really this move to have him become a, not a sitting player, that's, not what they were doing but this this dog this one of the three dogs of war as the tabloid kind of headline gave it where it's about pressing and harrying and not letting the better players have time on the ball he suddenly reinvents himself and becomes so central in this kind of uh midfield axis with with parkinson they really just change the the, the face of the sides it's it's a really great turnaround just by moving backwards and changing the focus of a player um it's a great story i think The more I think about this, this sort of Everton side and the, I suppose the narrative of, of this season, um, we haven't really gone on. We haven't really talked much about the FA Cup, um, and, and we'll we'll you know, we'll spend a, a little bit of time on it. Obviously, that they go on to win the FA Cup this season and they avoid relegation, and it's I, I find it sort of an interesting contrast with the Middlesbrough side we covered um, a few weeks back, who you know. Are perhaps more fondly mem- remembered in terms of the football they played, um, and perhaps more fondly remembered because ultimately theirs was was a glorious failure. Whereas Everton sort of stayed up by the skin of their teeth and 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 landed the silverware um, at the end of it. I suppose the, the the question is what what was the big difference in terms of why they were able to stay up um, and Middlesbrough was weren't was it the we, you, you were talking about this sort of midfield trio who it sounds like just worked their socks off for Joe Royal. Is Do we think that there's something in that? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, Middlesbrough weren't a team known for, for, for what they could do at the back. They had insane talent throughout that team. However, you know, they weren't, they they were going to concede as many as uh, as they scored, whereas you know Joe Royal just shut up shop and you know by getting a solid defence and by getting a you know some dogs of war in front of them that that's your first port of call. You steady the ship, you know. Robson was never going to be able to steady that Middlesbrough ship with the players that he had in it. I mean that's a big part of it, it you know. I, I hate this because I'm a footballing romantic at heart, but we have learned over the years that actually if you want to succeed in football, you are more likely to do it by not conceding more goals than by outscoring the opposition. That's just I mean, it's a basic. A, it's, a sim- it's a simple game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it is harder to outscore the opposition than it is to concede fewer. That's one of the things that most football managers have worked out over the years and 
that's why the game has trended more defensively over time. If you look, you don't believe me, go back and look at football scores in the 40s and 50s. You know, five twos are as common back then as two ones are today. The other thing to, to mention is that you do need a healthy dose of luck and the 94-95 season is not a vintage one. The year that Middlesbrough go down, Forest would have gone down most years that side that got relegated, but both Borough and Sunderland would have stayed up in the 94-95 season. So there is that to factor in as well. And so would the sides that Borough would have passed had they not been docked points. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing to factor in. So there's a little bit of luck involved, uh, but you know there were more than four worse teams than them that year. That's ultimately uh, what it comes down to. Uh, there were a lot of sides that, including Mike Walker's old Norwich side, who completely self-destructed in the back half of of the the year. There were just enough sides that didn't have that. I guess it was running your socks off. That is really what I think. What did it? And they had enough flair that doesn't get remembered. That's the other side of it. You know, Limpar was still a huge part of this team when he fancied it. Uh, Paul Rydout was an underappreciated striker. Graham Stewart had plenty of flair and was often filling in in a kind of number 10 role you know people forget that sometimes i think so yeah it, it, the midfield gave the three or four flair players license to go out and play and yeah Gr- graham yeah. stewart was doing a lot but you know if you've got the players that that, that can carry that weight you know football was was pretty defensive still at this point you know it 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 wasn't a uh, a time full of you know huge themes going forward gung-ho it was still very much as we say we're we're at the beginning of that transition uh, of of football towards you know the more continental style it's a lot, it was it's a lot of 442 versus 442 isn't it, it yeah there's not the, it and it, it just seems to be who's got the the best way of playing that system rather than you know, a hundred percent, and 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 you you you've not got your your big flair players from from Europe and South America coming in at this point. You know, it, it's the odd Scandinavian. I guess I guess the World Cup, the ninety four World Cup, was the the World Cup that started to see you know international stars of the time start to to move in a little bit. But um, you know. Amakachi was the one for for Everton, but there, there, there wasn't. You know, this is we're talking about a, a time. You know, Arsenal had not signed Dennis Burkamp at this stage. You know, we're we're not quite there uh, with bringing I mean, in. Yeah, I mean, Klinsman's gone to Spurs, hasn't he? But they're yeah. not. I, 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 it's really it's the following summer, isn't it, where we start to see this this big influx of 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 international stars coming to the Premier League. I think this is... This is it's, it's, a, it's after Euro 96 is where you really get this huge glut because they've just been, you know, on and all the managers have been going to watch and everybody and if you've had a good game, someone's took a chance on you. And uh, what, what you've got to remember is, results. you know, uh, uh, English teams are still struggling from the... Uh, what's it called at this stage? From the, uh, from the European, European band. band. Yeah. You know, we we aren't glamorous at all at this point. You know, we're, we're not yet a destination. You know, we, we've not recovered from that and started, you know, Arsenal have won the Cup Winners' Cup, um, you know, uh, and stuff like that. But we're, we're not competing uh, 
uh, on the European scene at a high level just yet. It, it's another year or two, and Man United getting getting. I mean, you're not that United aren't, going. That, that, they're that, not the destination club that they become towards the back end of that decade, are they? They not at this point. They, no. They've they've put to get. They've won two leagues, but this season they they set well. Canton are self destructs, and um, they they bottle both the league and the the FA Cup final. So then they're, they're not the the force that we I suppose we remember them being and. You know they they are pioneers in terms of bringing in a lot of that European talent um, in the in the second half of this decade. But at this point, you know it's it's very much a a, a British yeah. There's a that, British spine to the team with you know the Schmeichel and Cantona who were in the league in the, in the first place. They they United yeah. didn't they weren't brought in during the Premier League era to United. You know you know you. Ferguson brings Cantona from Leeds. Schmeichel's already there. Um, it's not. It's not. As I say, the following season, um, they obviously blood. They blood the kids, and Cantona comes back. And and but there are players like Bergkamp comes into the league. Hewlett, I think, comes into the league at this point. Ginola, players like that, uh, they're I mean, starting if- to come in. And then, as you say, Euro '96. There's there's a there's a huge awareness of um, some of these bigger stars, partly because I think that it's played in England. Yeah, yeah, that, that so is a huge thing. Yeah, massive. Uh, but I was just going to say, just to like, I think this is the point that drums home what you're, you're saying really well. The statement club in Britain that players wanted to sign for, or at least there was a track record of signing these big international stars, wasn't in England. It was in Scotland. It, yeah. Rangers, Rangers had bought in Champions League winners and players like Brian Laudrup by this point. And as you say, Cantona was the French genius, but he was a misfit that couldn't fit in anywhere when he moved to England. So we in England, that was the players you got. They were less high-profile um, Scandinavians often, as Maz points out. And they often did really good jobs. You know, Limpar, we've been singing his praises you know, through the, the show so far, and he was a fantastic footballer for Arsenal and Everton. But if you looked at where the stars were going... They were moving between other European clubs, and if they moved to Britain, Scotland actually was as appealing a destination as England. And that shows how far the Premier League goes just in the next 12 to 18 months, because by 1998, that's a ludicrous thing to say. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you're right on the brink of the change here, and that's it. I mean, the change has started, and... It, it's coming, they're starting to seep in, but, you know, we're not quite there yet. You know, within two years, it's going to be, you know, superstar I mean, city. It's interesting, actually, we talk about Duncan Ferguson, that coming, to, he, he's only he's only at Everton because he's on the run. Like, he, it, it, it's seen as a step down to come to, the, to England and play in the Premier League when he's been playing at Rangers, which, again, five years later is... Is is a ludicrous it's, thing to, to it, think. It's crazy to think about, and at this time, I mean, you know, who, who would who would you rather who would you rather be setting up goals for you if you were Duncan Ferguson, Gazza and Brian Laudrup, or like Vinny Samways and Graham Stewart? You know, it's not. <laughs> Although, funnily enough, if he waited a couple of years and Gazza was setting goals up for him in Ever- at Everton. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but you know, 
that not that many to be fair <laughs> no Gaza but, was know, passed it by then wasn't he it, 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 it <laughs> was, was well there and it. you know rangers were, were were really were the force and you know it was always a you, you always had to have um scottish league on your on your championship manager save just to try and like do a little sneaky and try and get Loudrop and Gazza into your team. But yeah, it, it was, it, they, they were strong at that point. They were really strong. And, you know, it, it, if uh, I know over the years, there's a, a, a lot of been a lot of talk about, you know, adding the, the big two Scottish teams to the premier league and how it'd work and all hypothetical like this. And now, you know, I don't think they'd even make much of a, you know. Oh, it's, it's laughable. You, you think they might struggle in the championship. Yeah, um, but, you know, back then, you know, that, that Rangers team, you know, they, they, they were on the hot run right then. You know, they uh, Celtic weren't getting anywhere near them, were they, at that point in time? Well, they weren't it, even it, finishing second. Yeah, it, it, it'd be, you know, two, three more seasons before Celtic started to really come at the risk anyway. of, uh, <laughs> anyway. at the risk of throw, just, just before we move on, at the risk of throwing back to our Dortmund episode, it was Motherwell and Paul Lambert finishing second at this point in time. Well, there you go, Lam- Lambert. It, the, uh, it all comes four, back to Paul Lambert in the end. Four at the back legend. That must really hurt. <laughs> Shall we talk about the FA Cup? Should, yeah, let's, uh, should we talk about the football club Everton? Um <laughs> So yeah, the FA Cup was uh, was an interesting one because no one really, even though they'd picked up and were going great guns, no one really gave much of a chance of, of making the final. And they sneaked through with typical Everton results, a couple of one nils in the early rounds against, uh, I think they were both lower league opposition at the time. I don't, maybe uh, Derby. Dar- it was Derby in the third round and they, yeah. they were one away at Bristol City. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think Derby were Premier League yet, though. I think they were on the way up. No. Uh, no, I don't, no, I think you're correct. Um, yeah, and, then, and then they smash Norwich, which is the really the, the eye-opening game. I think the thing that strikes me about this run is they get very lucky with the draws. They're at home for every round except the ex- except Bristol City in the fourth. Mm. Um, and you know, so they get Norwich in the fifth and smash them. They edge past Newcastle in the sixth round. Um, Newcastle obviously having an absolutely horrific record in the FA Cup um, in the last 30 years um, but the semi is the interesting one because the yeah. semi is the semi is the game they were not supposed to win everyone was set up that year for the Man United Tottenham Jurgen Klinsmann FA Cup final that was what everyone had written as it was going to happen and then it's the most one of the most remarkable games of the year Everton 4 Tottenham 1 it's also not at Goodison, I should point out. It's this they did. Um, Was it Ellen Road? They, yeah, they they do these. They, they do the, the semi finals in neutral venues. Like now, obviously, they they play the semi finals at Wembley, which is stupid, really. Yeah, they used to play it at a ground that was considered roughly equal Half distance from. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 so, so right so. Leeds is halfway uh, between you, London Matt, and Liverpool, Matt, apparently. You you grew up in in North London. Um, how I grew far up away in South is London? Leeds? But oh, yeah, right. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not comparable, is it? No, that 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 game had Villa Park written all over it, didn't it? I'm yeah. not sure why it was yeah. at Elland Road, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, Arsenal Spurs was at Wembley because that made sense. 
you know, in, in, in 93. So, um, probably 91 as well. But we don't talk about 91. But, um, you brought it up. Yeah, I know. Uh, shame, shame <laughs> Neil's not here to talk about that 91. Uh, semi-final which we uh, quickly erased from their uh, from their thoughts two years later and just thinking about it would united palace have been at villa park any other uh, semi-final it could well have been one like the city ground or something like that yeah, that's a good point that would have that would have been better than Ellen road Mm. I mean, that, that, it was 26 years ago. Who cares? <laughs> Back in those days, you know, the, the, there were two or three grounds that were all may almost always like, like I mean, Villa Park, obviously, because it was in the middle of the country, so it, it was always there. Hillsborough, Hillsborough had quite a lot of them as well, didn't they? I just want to point out though that it was 26 years ago. Who cares? Is probably not the best advertising for a football nostalgia podcast. <laughs> Uh, I might ch- I might change the byline to it. <laughs> Although I've I've been to an FA Cup semi final at Villa Park and uh, we had a lot further to go from North London than Wolves did from. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fairly short trip on the tram. Yeah, it, it's not not far at all. I've I've pretty much driven that four <laughs> four times most, myself in the last two weeks. That is the most Midlands thing that's ever been said on this pod. <laughs> I mean, I can go more Midlands. Not that far on like. the tram. I can go more Midlands if you like, Bab. <laughs> don't, don't don't even say that. <laughs> I, I just I, I walked I walked in. Very side note here, totally off football, but just a bit 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 black country uh, um, discussion. I walked into a cafe at ten to nine in the morning last week, just uh, next to my work. Not uh, because my, my, my head office is in the Midlands. Um, uh, and, and the woman there was calling absolutely everyone who walked in bab and uh standard uh, pretty standard and then the guy ordered at 10 to 9 in the morning chili con carne rice and chips <laughs> which made my day to be fair yeah that's, that's awesome. the most midlands thing that's been said on this podcast mm, yeah i can't top that <laughs> anyway so the FA Cup one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's got one of my favourite stories of the whole season as well, which is uh, Paul Rideout goes down injured. I think the score's 2-1 at the time. Uh, Spurs have just pulled one back. I think that's the, the state of the game. And Rideout's gone down injured, and they start warming up Amakachi. And it looks like, all of a sudden, Rideout's actually going to be able to get up and carry on. And Amakachi just runs on, like unheralded by anyone. And so they oh, just got to go through with the sub. And so they have to bring Raida off and Amakachi then promptly goes out and scores two goals and they win 4-1. And Joe Royal ends up calling it the best substitution I never made. <laughs> I mean, Fantastic. I mean, fair, fair play. I mean, you know, I actually remember that game really well. It's one of those, it, it's one of those, you know, I've got a few of those games from the mid-90s that you, you just remember sitting there and obviously as an Arsenal fan, you you want to you always want to see Spurs lose. Um, and boy, did they lose that day. You know, it was... Does, uh, does that make Daniel Amakachi the anti-Kepper? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my I, favourite I mean, memory... the anti-Amakachi, I guess. 
Yeah, he, yeah, he came first, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love the image of Klinsman taking the ball out of the net after his penalty, running it back so they can come back. I need to get to see two more goals. There's something funny about that. I mean, when he did it, they were two on down with 27 minutes to go. I mean, oh, no, it, it makes... seemed like it was hardly time for a crisis, was it? No. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they had been uh, managed by our dealers earlier in the season, so crisis was never too far away. Fair enough. Yeah. And for and the record, the... United Palace was at Villa Park, uh, uh, but both games. Of course, that went to a replay, yeah, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, the replay, yeah. Where, where Roy Keane got sent off and hence he missed the final, is that right? Uh, he got sent off, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I guess it, it I guess it was at that point. It was, uh, it, it, it was a different ball game, wasn't it? It wasn't just the next game, it would have been the next uh, cup game. Oh no, he, he played on the... He played on the wing in the final, actually. I'm just looking this up. Really? Oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. Yeah. 26 bloody years ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, oh, I suppose this has led us on quite seamlessly, because having spoiled the the final, we end up with the Everton-Manchester United final, which is a replay of the 10, 12 years earlier. I forget exactly uh, which, which year. But this was when I actually learned that Everton were not the slightly jokey team that I'd seen for for a couple of seasons because when you're supporting a side that had been in and around the top half and and we've all kind of had this at some point with when we were younger you know when you're supporting those sides you don't actually pay that much attention to the histories and the clubs of the teams that done the bottom when you're eight nine years old it just it's not something that's that interesting so when I'm watching that FA Cup final and as we've discussed before this starts at 12 o'clock in the afternoon it runs through to 7 o'clock at night it is, it's all day and you're watching this history of Everton I'm like I'm waking up to the fact that this is actually a massive club and only 10 years earlier they played the exact same game but Man United were like heavy underdogs and that just blew me away that Everton had fallen so far and yeah that's one of my abiding memories of the day was this j- just seeing what Everton had been just before I'd started watching football. And it's, I suppose, one of the things that stuck with me as well is the the parallels between those two finals. You know, Man United, the underdogs winning 1-0, and then Everton managing to do exactly the same thing as the underdogs here in 1995. United were were done, weren't they? They, they, Because this was after they'd, they'd bottled the league. Um, I suppose it's one of those sort of curiosities of sport, isn't it? I mean, I think at the, at the start of of May, I think everybody expected Man United to go on and do the double, um, and um, you know, win, win the league, and then they they conspired to to drop points on the final day against West Ham, and I, I still I still remember Andy Cole missing an absolute sitter. Um, on that final day, he missed like twenty that day, didn't he? he? That that was oh, he, he, not a good was, day for Andy Cole. He was developing a bit of a reputation at United for doing that, and uh, that that day kind of really sort of solidified um, that opinion. I mean, obviously, they, they there was the Cantona um, Kung Fu kick in February, which had um, had, had upset their their momentum somewhat, but you. you you still fancied them to go and do it, and they didn't. And you, then you, you come into the FA Cup final against an Everton side that 
you know, they'd done well in the season, but you didn't think they had anything like the quality to match Manchester United um, on a good day. Um, but they didn't catch United on a good day. I think they made them have a bad day. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of what happened. I, I, I think that's probably a little unfair. I mean, Everton was, you know, they... They defended like absolute beasts in that game. Uh, Uncle Nev, you know, he may not have, he may have been ten years past his prime. And I, 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 I actually remember I wrote a fan letter to Devil Southall after this game, <laughs> just like saying, you know, ten years ago they were calling you, you know, the best goalkeeper in the world. After that performance, you still are. I, what? It, it's amazing. One of the things I, I, I remember, he made a lot of good saves in that match, and I just remember him making. A pretty simple save, pretty basic save, and just grabbing the ball, falling to the floor, rolling onto it, and just wasting, you know, <laughs> twenty seconds. And I was like that as a football fan in the nineties. I was like, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's the way my brain works. I, I, I like people that are, are doing the clever stuff behind the scenes. And just, you like a bit of shit house. I, I like a bit of shit housing, and I. I just found that so so freaking hilarious and and so genius that you know it only wasted probably ten seconds even if that but you know rather than catch it and carry on it's like right let me take it let me roll over a couple of times and uh, get the ball in my hands get up slowly and you know it's just I, I just thought that was fantastic and he 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 actually wrote back. Uh, or someone oh. wrote back, and uh, I, I got a nice couple of Uncle Nev signed uh, photos. Good times. Brilliant. I mean, I people... will be giving away one of those signed photos, <laughs> and I'll, and I'll give uh, away. <laughs> I, uh, if I had it, I, I, I would, I would do something mad like that. But yeah, <laughs> God knows where that is today. It was twenty six years ago, Joe. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. I mean. People will look at that result and they'll hear that Southall had a great game and they'll think it was kind of a fluke in some ways, you know. And I, but it really wasn't. It was a fantastic team performance where United were really stifled, uh, re- really effectively, and Everton had done it in the league. This is the thing that when I look back and I'm like, why didn't we see it coming? Because. Everton had outplayed United by doing pretty much exactly the same thing. I mean, they'd had more, even more of it in the league. That was a slight difference. I think Wembley's pitch played to United's strengths. But, yeah, they'd, they'd stifled them. They'd cut it out. And then all of a sudden, they'd left their creative players in. And, you know, someone like Anders Limpar can, can hurt you on the day. And he runs the length of the pitch and pops up with a goal. And the second half was a little bit more backs to the wall. But, again, I don't remember there being too many moments where United looked certain to score and Neville pulled out a worldie. I just remember him making lots of good saves and that was kind of it. They just defended in the line and said, well, you can have it out there or, you know, you close you down, press you, not let you make the, the key kind of passes. And yeah, I thought they were, they were good value in the end, you know, in a weird kind of a way, which is, is funny to say when you think of how much of the ball United had, but yeah, I thought yeah, I had no problem with that one nil win, and and Everton made a bit of a knack of of doing that in 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 Merseyside derbies in that period in particular. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it it becomes a dirty dirty word playing, you know, defensive football behind the ball, you know, not uh, ten men behind the ball or or however, you know, 
in this day and age. But you know that that was that really was the game back then, wasn't it? You know, uh, at that point, it it weren't pretty. You know, it it, it was fun to watch, but it, but it was organised it, it at was the time. Not, yeah, it's there's a, I think there's a difference between parking the bus and just hoping for the best that you're not going to get broken down. But I think in in this case, I mean, we've talked about how Everton intended to set up anyway, but their intention was to disrupt and and make it difficult for United to play the way that they wanted to play and basically say to them, what else have you got? And, and they didn't have after, anything else. A week, a week after sort of giving up the title and, you know, failing in that way, and, and I, I, I would expect that that had some sort of effect on it, they didn't have anything else. They didn't have the magic of Cantona. Um, so that's Andy Cole. Less... Andy, Andy Cole was cup tied. Andy Cole was cup tied. So, you know, two of their big attacking threats not available. Um, well, so I, I, are... I think that's it. It's Cantona was the guy that that you would have thought could have opened opened that door. If if if, if the door would have been opened, it would have been Cantona that would have been able to open that door. You know, Giggs was still. A hot young stud at the time but you know he he wasn't quite there yet as, as you know the the full-time you know full-time so we, guy we said, and, and the rest of the youngsters were still coming through that they we, weren't we really said in the very there first yet. episode i mean cantonal was the one who formed united into a you, you know a, a, a a decent attacking team into a really dangerous one um, because of the way that he would, he would find pockets of space that other players just didn't, didn't operate in. And with that threat nullified, they were kind of United was sort of their, their main attacking threat on paper would have been through the wingers of Kanchelskis and Giggs. Um, Neither of whom played. Neither of whom played. So it's, I mean, Giggs, came, Giggs came on at half time to be fair so uh, uh, was Kanchelskis on his way out the door? bizarrely on his way to Everton wasn't he at this point I mean, did that's he join in the summer yeah yeah that's where I was going to go next with once we've, we've done with the FA Cup is because you've got to talk about that that miraculous year it, it didn't end in silverware but Kanchelskis at Everton was, was quite something I mean Kanchelskis like us you know I said it in the United um episode that we did what a fantastic player I used to love watching Kachowskis I mean you know it's it, such a direct footballer that would just yeah run at people and just cause them absolute grief and you know uh, uh, bizarrely I think he'd probably be even better in today's game you know as a you know as a right-sided you know forward so to speak, you know, a right winger rather than a right midfielder, if you like, you know, yeah. one of three. My he's word, he could have been the, something. He's got a touch of the Sam Maximan about him. Like he was just so quick on his feet. Um, and he, yeah, and he always had that sort of, He had, he, my, my abiding memory of, he was always just so direct. Yeah, absolutely. He wasn't going to do two or three skill moves. He's just running at you. Yeah, you know, he's, trust he's, his pace. He's going for the byline. He's going to do something. He's trying to get into a dangerous position, and that's what made him so, so dangerous. Because in doing that, it it forces defenders on the back foot, and it creates space for other people to work in. 
Well, well, that's um, what I was—I was just going to say when you brought that up the first first time. There is, can you imagine that pace, that directness, playing today when tactics are so much more attuned to transition and to yeah. breaking quickly? I mean, I think it'd be terrifying. And and the fact that he's one of those players that you know he could go either way. You know, he could go to the line and put in a top quality cross, or he could cut inside and bang it in the back of the net. You know, that's that's dangerous. You know. In that mold of you know Marco Mars, Robin, you know really, really, really good player. And he took a lot of the burden off off Limpar. I mean, now all of a sudden they've got two wingers that can do that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, I don't remember them playing together a tremendous amount, but it meant that okay, if one's not fully fit or yeah yeah then you can always rotate the one in and out and uh, limpa was probably aging a little bit by the time kajalskis joined so yeah yeah, all of a sudden they've got a lot going for them then and they finish i want to say sixth i think they finished just behind arsenal the following year so they go from winning the fa cup to comfortably finishing top half and almost getting into europe again that's that shows you about the turnaround that, that that Joe Royal had done had made at the club. You know, he'd he, he'd bought that that belief in, and that, you know, Kanchelskis aside, I don't think he 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 bought anyone else in really in the summer, did he? No, there were no massive signings coming in. I mean, um, Craig Short, I think, was the other big signing. I, I don't, I, with all due respect to him, good defender, I don't think we'd call him a massive signing, not in the Kanchelskis mould. No, no, exactly. So you know, I mean that that that's still an absolute bargain. I mean, I think Kanchelski's finished top scorer that season, didn't he? As well in his first season there, you know. So that turned out to be a an absolute an absolutely yeah, amazing I mean, signing, really. When you look at it, sixteen goals he scores that season. So yeah, so <laughs> very direct. I mean, speaking of goal scorers, just as kind of bring us back to this season and um, and I suppose just the importance of scoring goals when you're in that kind of relegation fight. Paul Rideout scores 14 league goals in the end. Um, and you think of all those um, those teams over the years who have gone down because they are unable to score goals. Uh, I mean, you know, Newcastle United this season are in a dogfight and there is nobody in that team who is fit who you think can score a goal. Sheffield United are in trouble. Rian Brewster's, they paid 24 million quid for Rian Brewster and he hasn't scored. Um, when you've got someone like that who just keeps putting the ball away, it makes all the difference. Yes, yeah, so someone's always got to step up, don't they? You know, and, you know, as much as we've harped on in this episode about, you know, needing that defensive base, if you've got no one that can put it away at the other end, you know, even if it's not, you know, you don't have to be Cristiano Ronaldo up there, but you know, if you if you get in one every other game at, at an important stage of the season, you know, it's going to make a big deal. It just takes the pressure off the rest of the side, doesn't it? If you've got one player who can consistently hit, because if you want to stay up and you don't have that, I remember Birmingham doing it one year. Uh, I think it must have been under Alex McLeish, where they just had a really, really good defensive record and. I don't re- remember them having a particularly effective striker at all. And Was the goals were in Jerome season. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been because he, <laughs> he must. Uh, but, but basically, uh, they scored less than a goal a game, if I remember right. And they just nil, 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 one, nil, one, nil, nil, nil. That was kind of the sequence of results. And 
as I remember it, it was like, okay, well, a defender's going to have to score to kind of get us the odd win here. The midfield's going to have to score. Just having Paul Rideout hit this run of form, which was probably the best of his career, just just eased that you know you suddenly weren't relying on ablett getting a winner every few weeks because we saw earlier in the season he could do it once in 10 to 12 games but that's not his game and they didn't have midfielders who scored hatfuls of goals either i mean sam ways could turn up with the odd one he, he scores the winner in the what was the charity shield uh, a few months after the fa cup win so they they go on to beat blackburn uh in much the same way they just beaten man united but yeah, it's one of those things where it's just everybody gets a lift out of it. You know, there's just so much less pressure on everybody else. And it's one of the things I think maybe you lose when you have a striker that can bring people into the game but can't really hit the net too often. But Everton had goals in, in several of those strikers by the end. You know, Graham Stewart was a goal scorer in number 10. Uh, Ferguson hit his fair share of goals when he was... Ferguson got seven that season, I think. He... Yeah. Yeah, and he was obviously on, didn't really play much until the November. So that's and we had his legal troubles going on. So that's not bad going. Um, right out, as we say, you know, before this they'd had Cotty. They'd have some some other players afterwards that would fit in the yeah. same mode. Yeah, it's, it's, I thought they were. Um, and you know, I mean, you know, it, and it, even Amakachi got got a few here and there, didn't he? So you know, it's uh, sometimes you know it, it's probably better. To not be so reliant on one guy if you've got three or four who, you know, can pop up with a goal every now and again. Well, you yeah, know, we, rather than we, one that's going for a drought, and that's where it, and all your eggs are in that basket. I don't, I don't like to harp on about Newcastle, but you, you now that we've but lost well. Callum Wilson, but well, yeah, because it, 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 but it's, it's, it's an interesting contrast for me because you without that sort of ability without that goal threat it's very it's, it, you, you, teams will always be wary about that goal threat if you've got somebody who keep, just keeps popping up and scoring it's quite difficult to kind of just play them out of the game whereas against teams where there is no goal threat you can kind of just sit back and wait for the opportunity um, and it's it's if, and, and for the fans as well, it, it makes things very, well, hopeless, really. And at least when you've got that that threat up front, you, you know you've got somebody who, if he gets if he gets a chance to, you know, if, if someone floats across over um, and 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 he gets a, a fair look at it, it'll, he, he's likely to 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 put one in then it means that the, the atmosphere around the ground, and I think that's a very underrated part of it and perhaps less relevant this season, but certainly in seasons gone by, the crowd will always be on side. They'll always think that there's a chance. And so the team can kind of get some momentum from that. Um, so I think it's, it, I think that's right out is perhaps sort of the unsung hero of this, this season. Probably, probably not an unsung hero as such because he, he did end up scoring the winner in the FA Cup final as well. But in terms of his, his importance to this team, huge, huge influence. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's certainly not a player that goes down in, in, in Premier League history as, you know, a great striker or anything like that. But, you know, that season, you know, he finished top top scorer in the league for a team that, that, that beat the drop and scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final. I mean, you, 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 you take that, you know, 
most professional footballers will take that one season as their best season and be very happy with that. Yeah, I think Rydout is, like many of this team, not really given as much fond remembrances as they should be. I think anyone in that bat line really warrants it because, I mean, Dave Watson in particular, I mean, what a hero. That image of him lifting the FA Cup. I mean, so well deserved. And <laughs> just remembering the the story that um, Prince Charles was obviously the the royal dignitary that did the the presentation that day. He obviously hadn't been paying attention because he tried to give the FA Cup to Steve Bruce. And, <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, so just uh, so any of those back line. I mean, for me, Andy Hinchcliffe is the real kind of unsung hero in many ways because he just had so much talent we just don't talk about him at all Ryder at least had that moment but I mean he'd had such a good like interesting career I suppose might be a better way than a good career you know because he was at Villa in the mid 80s at one point and when we sold him he went off to play in Italy so he's one of those transplanted English pros playing in Serie A when it's the Glamour League and, you know, you, you forget that about someone like Paul Ryder and he comes back to Southampton he has to drop down so this Everton spell as good as it is it's kind of a wonderful swan song to what's a fascinating little career I, I don't mean little in a disparaging way i think it's i think it's really great and all power to him. I, th- I don't think he gets the respect that he deserves i don't think graham stewart gets the respect that he, he deserved yeah i could i could actually wax lyrical about a lot of these these players because they there's some really great stories in this side i think i've just looked at paul rideout's uh, club history uh, and and you're right it's very interesting um he spends a bit of time at Swindon, then he goes to Villa, then he goes to Bari, Southampton. He spends a little bit of time at Notts County. He goes to Rangers for half a season. Um, then he has this five-year spell at Everton. And then, see if you've heard of any of these teams. Um, Kianwe Huandao. I just watched their season review the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Next week it... or four at the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The 1997 Kuangwe Huandao uh, season review. Um, he goes to Kansas City Wizards uh, for a year in the MLS. Um, Chongqing Huandao, Shenzhen Jianlibao, and um, then two years at Tranmere. I've heard of them. They're just across the way from <laughs> me. Yeah, it's not not far from Everton, is it? It's, yeah. Uh, so so. China, the States, Italy. Yeah, it's a globetrotter. Yeah. He's been everywhere. Scotland, even. <laughs> Only for half a season. Did he have to run away as well? <laughs> the other... Uh, He's even been to Swindon. Started at Swindon. That is that, that is an exotic part of the world. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess if you started at Swindon, you'd go anywhere, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think we're bringing this one kind of quickly to, towards an end as we're starting to discuss the later career of Paul Rideout. Um, I mean, just before we do wrap it up, there are any last thoughts anyone wanted to get out there on this this side because they're, they're an interesting bunch. Uh, like, like, as I said, for me, you know, the the big standout is Uncle Nev's swan song. You know, Uncle Nev takes home a, a final FA Cup, uh, you know, before he... I mean, he was really fat here, wasn't he? Let, let's face it. But before he gets even fatter. 
Um, he's, uh, he's not an just, athlete at this point. No, he 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 winds back the years in that final, and it's it, it's really good to see and a, a, a really nice moment for him. Joe? I think it's just. I think it's just. You know, it it it's interesting to hear about a team who kind of turned it round and and kind of and dug in and did it well. Like we've we've spoken about some really good teams. We've spoken about some teams who have kind of like just failed gloriously. This is a team who were really under threat. Um, their their Premier League status was really under threat. Um, it's probably the closest they've been to dropping out of the Premier League since its inception. Um, and there are plenty of teams who have been faced for that sort of scenario and have crumbled. Um, and so to hear the story of a manager coming in and, and you know being very pragmatic about what he's got at his disposal and not being afraid to make some big calls in terms of you know, axing some of his first teams, first team, and and bringing in the reserves. Some, you know, who probably should have been in the team in the first place. But it's easy to say that now that they, you know, they've stayed up and everything like that. And I think it represents a bit of a blueprint for, you know, other managers who developed a little bit of a reputation as, um, as being able to to, to sort those, those sort of situations. I mean, we. I mentioned Allardyce at the start, and Allardyce has kind of does the same thing when he comes into these clubs. He has a very pragmatic look at what he's got at his disposal, and uses it to the best of his ability. And I, I think that's what Joe Royal did here to to marvelous effect. And um, it actually turned out that the team was pretty good, and he could actually take them in onto something a bit more. Um, and give the fans a bit more to shout about the following season, not not just keep them up, but push them towards Europe. And um, it, it, I, th- I think it's a really interesting story and, and one that kind of gets lost in the shuffle um, a little bit. Um, and I, I suppose it's, it's one of those stories that we, w- we wanted to tell um, when we first started thinking about this podcast series, because it's... Um, there's some really interesting parallels to draw about seasons that have have come since. Yeah, I think I loved the the FA Cup win. Uh, you know, the, the fact they threw it back up United and uh, you know turned the failure to win the league into you know the, a, a failure to win silverware when they won everything and everyone was sick of of them by this point. And, and so, so we'll always. Fans of my vintage will always love them, just for two fingers up to United for one season at least. That will buy you a lot of goodwill. But I think the thing that sticks with me even more than that, in in hindsight, is them going on to do bigger and better things for the next year. And the fact that once Royal was... Uh, I think it's uh, I'm not sure whether he was sacked or he resigned it's one of these early mutual consent deals where no one's quite sure how he might have ended up leaving but once he leaves Everton fall back into the same sort of pattern that they'd been in before he comes in so this is an oasis of calm in a manic decade for Everton and it never doesn't re- never really gets solved until David Moyes comes in and so if you're younger, then you're probably used to, to a stable Everton because 
you've ex- you experienced the David Moyes team. That would be what all you've known, and and the, the teams that have come subsequently. So this idea of Everton nearly falling out the league once every couple of years is is quite alien to you. But I, you know, I lived through it, and the fact that this is the the bit that worked in the middle of that, and they immediately go back to being a side that is struggling to stay in the division. That really stands out for me, and it just makes me think, okay, there was something special about that team. Uh, maybe they weren't always the the most glamorous, and maybe we have turned the fact that you're a running team into a bit of a negative in more recent years. But I look back at them, and I don't think there was that negative. And, you know, I've, I felt quite warmly about a lot of those players even then, and even though they didn't play for my team, and I still do now. And, yeah, that comes back to what you're saying about it being one of those stories that we want to tell. There's a lot there that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And it's, that's kind of what the podcast like this is for. And that's kind of a good place to finish, I think. So we will leave it there. We'll be back next week where we're going to do something um, a little bit different in terms of the, of the side. We're going down to London. Alan Kirbishley brought Charlton into the Premier League. They were relegated. But they immediately won the division at Akanta and came back up. And what happened when they came back up? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about next time. I think it's safe to say they did all right. But uh... Mazza and I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out with the rest of you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.